Hey, Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and today's episode is a perfect way to kick off the holiday season because it's all about toys. Our pal Tim Clark is going to be talking about Boglins and Sectars, uh, two of the 80s puppet-based toy lines that he created. Uh, you know, Tim's been on the show before. Uh, we've already uh, released his uh, Dark Crystal panel from Dragon Con, and this is the uh, Puppetry as Toys, Boglins and Sectars panel that I moderated with Tim at Dragon Con. It's awesome. It's fun. You learn a lot, not just about how he came up with Boglins and Sectars, but about how the toy industry works and... It's an interesting look because back in the 80s, it's funny because Tim talks about how restrictive some of the companies were, but, you know, looking at things nowadays, it it, it hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse because there were so many innovative toys in the 80s and now we we don't see that kind of thing anymore. But anyway, it's an awesome episode, you're going to enjoy it, but before we get to the conversation with Tim in front of a live Dragon Con audience, I am going to each episode in December, I'm going to highlight a different cause, a different, uh, not necessarily charity, but just something that I think is great that I think you guys should know about. Some of them you probably already do. And these aren't, I'm not like affiliated with these. This is not any, I'm not getting anything for putting this stuff over. It's just going to be things that I really believe in and love that I want to spread the word about. And the first one that we're going to start with today is, and and it actually begins today, the day that I'm recording this, uh, which is November 30th, but uh, I want to talk about Clark Howard's Christmas Kids. Uh, 2017 is the 27th year of collecting toys and gifts for foster kids across Georgia. Every Christmas, Clark Howard and News Talk WSB join with the Georgia Department of Family and Children's Services to provide gifts for the foster kids all across Georgia. Whether you give in person or donate online, your generosity shows them that someone really cares, a gift that truly lasts a lifetime. Now, what Clark Howard has done every year uh, for 27 years now is he will go to, I don't know if it's always been at Walmart, but but what he does now is he goes to area Walmarts and he has Christmas lists from foster kids in Georgia. And you go and you show up at Walmart and you say, hey, let me look at one of these lists. And they give you the list and you go go in and, uh, you know, it's Walmart. So you kind of have to do the best you can, but you get to pick things from these kids lists and you bring them back to Clark Howard and he's there he's there all day at these tables uh with his staff of volunteers and you bring it back to him and you say here you go here's the stuff I wanted to buy from this kid's list and they say thank you and Merry Christmas and there you go and it's I think it's incredible and it warms my heart every single year because I I, I tend to uh you know WSB 
uh, was for a long time the the only thing I could listen to at work, which, you know, regardless of how you feel about some of the shows they have, I love listening to Clark's show. Uh, I can't anymore. I don't think he's even on the air there anymore, but we, we don't have radios at work anymore. <laughs> but uh, I still love Clark Howard, and I still love his Christmas Kids uh, program. And I'm going to give you right now the list of where he's going to be uh, tomorrow or today, as you listen to this, he's at the Walmart on Mansell Road, uh, Saturday, December 2nd, at the one in Woodstock and the one at Peachtree City. So obviously Clark's not going to be in two places at once. I guess he's had to expand. Uh, December the 8th, he's going to be at the one in Windward Parkway and the one in Buford. December 9th, uh, Pleasant Hill and Cumming. And December 10th, Cobb Parkway and Lawrenceville. And I guess they're doing two locations each weekend because uh, they've, you know, every year there are more and more foster kids in Georgia. And, you know, they're, they're, we're fortunate enough that there are foster parents out there that are wonderful enough to take these kids into their homes. But there's only so much that the government can do to provide financing for these guys and uh, these guys and gals. And, you know, Christmas is, is a time of giving and caring, and that's what Clark Howard does every single year. So if, if you've got the time, uh, you can go to Clark.com, and, and the Christmas Kids thing is right there. And if you want to show up at one of the Walmarts, if you're local, do it. Go out. And, and, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money. Every little bit helps, though. You just look at these kids' Christmas lists and pick something out and, and leave it with them, and they'll make sure it gets to that specific kid. It's a way to do something very directly. Uh, and then if you can't, if you're not local, uh, but you'd like to contribute, uh, or, or you just can't make it out to a Walmart on any of those days. And I know I'm working a bunch of weekends in December, so it's going to be tough, but I'm, I will be going to the one on Pleasant Hill on December 9th. Uh, you can also go to dfcs.georgia.gov, uh, slash secret Santa program, and you can donate directly there to, uh, the foster uh, children's program uh and, and honestly you guys know I, i've been saying this for a while now uh, just go and google clark's christmas kids and and you'll find all the information you need to know but that is that is this week's worthy cause that i want to put over for the holiday season i hope you guys go and check it out uh and if you can show up and and it's fun too i i brought my son last time i was able to go uh brought my son and we picked out a kid's list and bought some presents and dropped them off and it was a fun uh, fun Christmas thing that I'm, I'm hoping to make an annual tradition now that, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's a little easier to do. So please get out there or visit the website and do what you can. So there you go. Clark's Christmas Kids, uh, needless things approved cause for good in the world. And now I want to talk about a different kind of shopping trip. So on last week's episode, I mentioned Black Friday. And I wasn't quite sure what we were going to be doing. I knew I wanted to get out to the record store uh, for the uh, Black Friday record store day releases just to check them out. There was an Anthrax die-cut picture disc crazy-ass thing that I wasn't able to get my hands on. Uh, but, I just, you know, I, I like getting out on Black Friday. And it's not as crazy as it used to be, which on the one hand is nice. On the other hand is a little sad because it shows how much brick-and-mortar retail is dying. Uh, but I managed to talk the family into going out with me. So we spent like the whole day just running around, having fun, uh, looking at sales, nothing, never too congested anywhere, but people were out and about. 
Uh, we hit the record store, and I, I didn't get anything that was a record store day release, but I did get a big pile of soundtracks uh, for super cheap. If, if you're following me on Instagram or uh, on Facebook as Dave West, uh, then you saw I got some James Bond. I got the Raiders soundtrack. I got some really awesome stuff. I was pretty stoked. So that was a good stop. And uh, we got we got some Christmas ornaments and stuff. We were in by the Disney store. We just we, we had a great day just being out and about as a family, which is something that, uh, you know, with work and, and whatever else, I, I unfortunately don't get to do as much as I'd like to do. But the, the truly magical thing, uh, my wife, Mrs. Troublemaker, is not a fan of big, long shopping days which i've talked to you guys before about how i used to spend entire days just driving around the state on toy hunts and and i i don't really have the desire to do that anymore but i i have a big tolerance for driving around and uh having commerce but she had a great time too she held up really well she didn't get too mad at the crowds uh we all just it, it was wonderful it was a good time so what i'm saying here is uh at some point this month bundle up your loved ones and you don't have to go shopping you don't have to go to like toys r us and stuff but you can go find a christmas tree farm or or uh you know go out to stone mountain or something well stone mountain's expensive as shit so i don't know how cost effective that is but you know go out and do something go out and have some fun just go out drive around and look at lights we're gonna do that uh this weekend uh one night when i get home from work we're just gonna drive around the neighborhoods and look at the lights and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe we should wait about a week because it's the beginning of December and you got some slackers out there who aren't on top of things like we are. Right now, we've got the Christmas trees up, the front porch is lit with my beautiful C9 light bulbs, uh, things are going down in the Phantom. It is Christmas time in the Phantom Zone. Uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, a piece about music now for the site because from midnight on Thanksgiving or the night of Thanksgiving, until the midnight of Christmas Day, all I listen to is Christmas music. Now, I'll probably be making some exceptions for these soundtracks I picked up while I'm sitting here at home, because I really do enjoy having the turntable here. But as far as driving around in the car, uh, you know, I'll still get probably Killing the Town uh, podcast in, because that is my number one podcast obsession. But other than that, Christmas music in the car, constant. Love it. Love it. So I'm going to write a post about uh, my favorite, maybe albums and, and songs. We'll see how that turns out. Writing is is a chore lately because work's been super busy. Uh, finally, I want to tell you guys to go to needlessthingssite.com, click on that big old Amazon box in the top right corner, and do some Christmas shopping. You don't have to do all your Christmas shopping there. I encourage you to get out to local places. Spend your money with mom-and-pop stores, if any exist around you. Uh, go to even you know Barnes & Noble. Uh, uh, don't go to Walmart. I hate Walmart. Ugh. Go to Target. Uh, go to the mall. Go to the mall and walk around and just drink in the awesome decorations. I, I just, uh, matter of fact, today, uh, after... after taking a driving test for my job which requires no driving whatsoever but it gets my company an insurance break so good for them uh i ran over to north point mall it's gorgeous it's beautiful i walked in through macy's macy's is all done up they've got big ornaments hanging all over the place then you walk out in the mall and the trees and everything are out it's beautiful just get out and look at christmas stuff uh but anyway 
Uh, once you've done that, go to needlessthingsite.com, click on that Amazon box, and do a little bit of Christmas shopping through there. We'll get a little bit of a kickback that helps out with expenses around here, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. It's the very best way to help out Needless Things. Uh, and also, uh, listening to Tim Clark in just a minute here, you should go to totimstotems.com and check out the stuff he has up. He's got all new Boglins that he's making by hand. Uh, he's got a new Boglins print that is up and available right now. Uh, lots of cool stuff there. It's totimstotems.com, totems.com. And uh, you can buy some cool stuff, unique presents for the toy nerd in your life. So there you go. And now it is time to talk to Mr. Tim Clark. What an awesome guy. Hey, Batman. Look, over there, you know who that is? That's Santa Claus. Right again, Robbie. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. Checking it twice. Gonna find out So, um, I started out, uh, right out of college working for Kermit Love, who designed, uh, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. And, um, my first job working for Kermit was dyeing Snuffleupagus fur. <laughs> and my famous story about that was that Kermit gave me rubber gloves that went to here. The only problem was that the dye bats went to like here. So I was fine when I first started on pushing the fur fabric in and pulling it out and pushing it back in and then I went a little too far and I had brown arms. So it was interesting because I would get on the subway in the morning and people would just kind of part because there was this white man with brown arms and they're like, does he have some weird disease? Like, we shouldn't be sitting next to him. And um so, uh, when I was working, um, I don't know if you can find it, the fly. The, when I was working for Kermit, when we weren't doing either costuming for um, uh, ballet companies, because that was Kermit's main business, um, or we weren't doing commer- you know, puppets for a TV commercial, or building... We would. We also built uh, puppets for Sesame Street overseas. Not well, besides doing Big Bird, a new Big Bird and a new Snuffy every year. We would build um, uh, Sesame Street characters for Germany and Sesame Street characters for Mexico and Sesame Street characters for Kuwait. So, and his business would be up and down like any of the arts businesses. But in the meantime, I would play around with, you know, making my own puppets for myself. Just like with all the scraps and materials. And I made this fly hand puppet using my fingers as his legs. And I don't know, later on when I got hired by Muppets to work on Dark Crystal, Jim had a Halloween party 
And I never liked wearing masks at Halloween parties because you can't drink or eat. It's like you go to a party and you're, you're constantly taking the thing off to eat or drink and then putting it back on. So I thought, I'm just going to take this fly hand puppet. And also, it's like going to a Halloween party with a bunch of Muppet build, puppet builders. It's like, what do you do that is going to top the next person? And I thought, you know, I'm just going to take this fly and I would just take the fly and I would put it on and then people would be talking at the party and I would go over like this and everybody would go, ah, what the hell is that? You know, or I would take it and stick its nose in their drink and they're like, Tim, that's disgusting, it's gross. You know, it's like, and um, I, uh, you know, then I put him away and I didn't really think about it and then, um, I went on to working on, you know, I was working in England on Dark Crystal and building the Mystics and the um, Crystal Bats, and I worked on the Land Strider doing the mechanism for the his tongue to come shooting out of his head, and, or a stinger, and um, the other thing that I did was uh, Brian asked me to build some of the pot, to sculpt some of the pod people and he would give me these quick little sketches and then I would start working on it and he would say uh, Tim, they're supposed to be happy potato people he said yours look really depressed and I said okay you know, and I would go back and try something else and he goes no, this is not it it's too depressed they're supposed to be happy potato people and I, I said, all right, fine. And he said, after like my third attempt, he said, it's all right, don't worry about it. We're just going to make yours the slaves. So like most of the, the slave pod people are mine because they are unhappy and depressed. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like all the different materials we were working with and you know, from feathers to fur fabric to foam latex. Um, once Dark Crystal finished, and I came back to New York to work on Fraggle Rock, and at some point I went to Jim and I said, you know, Jim, oh, I know, because my first, I don't know if it's in there, the, the um, first toy product I sculpted for the Muppets, yeah, I don't know if he's in, they're in there. I think I, I put it in the wrong folder. Anyway, was the the Hasbro was doing the action figure line of Dark Crystal characters. And so I sculpted the Mystic and the Gartham and the Landstrider for the toy version. That was back in 83, I think. And what happened was they brought it to Toy Fair and the movie got released and they canceled the entire line because they said the movie is too scary for kids no kid is going to sit through this movie and we're not going to sell any toys so they canceled the entire line little did Hasbro know that there would be adult collectors of toy products you know it's like that was totally out of you know that concept didn't exist at that time period so they were never produced. But that was my introduction to doing, you know, toy design work. And I went to Jim and I said, you know, Jim, we are doing such amazing, innovative things with materials. 
but the toy companies are just doing the same old stuff. You know, it's like they would do a Big Bird ride-on, and they would sculpt this hard, you know, front to the Big Bird ride-on, and then they would put stickers over the hubcaps of Big Bird spinning around, you know. And I said, you know, it's like a Big Bird ride-on should be, like, a soft material that the kid can put his hand in, like, Big Bird's hands, you know, and... You know, his he should have like soft legs that go up and down on the on the the um, pedals when the kid. And I said we should really have a design group here in Henson to come up with product ideas and concepts, and then take those to the um, the toy company. So we're doing innovative things with, for kids with toys. And he looked at me. He said, Tim. That's a really wonderful idea, but I just don't want to do it. <laughs> and I said, I was like, really, like, come on. I was like, so shocked that he had like no interest in going in this direction. And I was like, all right, fine. And I was like, and once I finished Fraggle Rock, Muppets, believe it or not, could not, they, there were several other properties that they were pitching, and nobody was picking them up. And we were like shocked like we were like how can you have the most popular children's television program on the most popular adult television in the world literally Muppet Show at one time was being aired in 115 different countries at the same time and they couldn't place anything after Fraggle Rock so they took a whole bunch of uh, the puppet builders and said look at we don't have the work we're going to make you freelance. We'll call you in when we need you. And so I started doing freelance sculpting work as well as developing my own products. And um, I started trying to get into toy companies to sell my ideas. And they would say, um, who are you? And, and I'd say, I'm Tim Clark. I work for the Muppets, blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, well, we don't see uh, toy concepts from outside people. And I was like, well, how do I show you work if you won't, you know, like, how do you do new stuff if you won't see new people? And they said, I'm sorry, we just do not see, we only work with specific design and inventing companies in the toy community. We don't work with anybody who's independent and outside. And I was like, going, I don't get this. You know, it's like, so then I went to Toy Fair I think this was in 83 or 84. And I opened up the book, the, you know, the, the guide, and in the back was this tiny little advertisement for Seven Towns. We represented Rubik's Cube. And I thought, you know, we're toy uh, inventors and designers, and we represent Erno Rubik. And I was like, oh, well, I'll call this guy, maybe. So I called him, and I said, look, at I'm you know, a toy designer, and we don't see anybody who's outside or independent. I'm like, I, and then at, at some point, somebody said to me, the toy companies will not see independent designers because they're worried that you have stolen the concept or idea from somebody else, and they don't want to get sued. They don't want it to purchase your product and then a year down the line in production find out that it, you had taken it from somebody else. They get caught up in a lawsuit. The toy doesn't get produced. 
So I called Seven Towns back and I said, look it, I know you don't see outside independent designers, but I've been working for the Muppets for the last five years. I have all these great ideas for toy concept. Oh, you work for the Muppets? And he said, you should come in. So I finally like got through this like door, you know, and I went in and I started showing a bunch of things. And he, he, the the agent was just called, no, no, not practical. It's not going to work. No, you know. And then he said, come up with something else, you know. And I would, I laughed, and I would go back and I was like, okay, what else do I have? And so one day I just took that fly, and I stuck it in the bag, my plastic bag, and I went in, and I took it out, and he, go, he looks at it, he goes, oh, that's amazing. He said, that's incredible. And I'm like, really? This fly? <laughs> like, after all the stuff I showed you, this fly is incredible. He said, yeah, we can put an action figure on the back of that thing. It'll be amazing. And I said, okay, fine, you know. So um, I... Maureen Trotto and I, who were working together at that time doing puppet and prop stuff for TV commercials, we started fleshing out all these different characters. Like we did a female bee, which she was never produced. Um, we did, um, you know, the tarantula and a bunch of other, you know, things all play off of the insect or arachnid world. And we went back and then, um, Larry Mass, who was the agent at Seven Towns in New York at that time, um, took all our prototypes and at the toy fair the next year started showing them around. And um, he showed the product to Coleco and they said, yeah, we want it. Right, like right then and there. They, he pulled it out of the bag, demonstrated it. They said, yes, we want it. That's it. It's, you know, fine. And they sold it at toy fair that day. And he called me up, and he said, we sold Sectors. And I said, great, I'm quitting my job. He goes, no, 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 no. You can't quit your job. I said, Larry, you just sold Sectors. You just made me in one day what I will make the whole next year in royalty, advance against royalties. I said, I'm quitting my job. He said, Tim, your wife is pregnant. She's about to have a baby. You cannot quit your job. I, I, and I, said, I said, yes, Larry, I can quit my job. I, he said, no, 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 you can't do that to me. I said, why? He said, it may never get to market. He said, you don't know. It's like not every toy will actually ever be produced. They may hold it for three months. And then I said, it doesn't matter. You've given me a year where I can create other things. And I'm willing to take the risk. I'm not worried about it. You know, it's like I can always get a job working for a toy company because that was the great thing about having worked for Muppets is that if I went on an interview and I said in my resume it was that I had worked at Muppets, they would say, okay, yeah, come, because they just wanted that connection. So I um, went back and in the that year, and Larry was like going, you know, Tim, you'll be lucky if you ever sell another toy concept in your entire life. I've been working with people for 20 years who have never sold a toy concept. I thought, okay, Larry, okay. You know, so I went back and then I started um, uh, doing the development work on Boglins. And this guy is um, the one I recently made, but is based on 
the original one, the original small boggling that I um, did for, there he is, the group shot. So this was the actual prototype that I presented, we presented to Mattel of the small version. I had also done a large version, which had the moving eyes and a grabbing hand that you could squeeze his tail. They couldn't do that because it was too expensive. But so I've in because so many people have been bugging me to bring these back out that I decided, oh, you know, I'll go back and I'll make one based on the original. So I have those now. And and you have those here, don't you? Yes. <laughs> and he bought one. I bought three. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think, uh, where am I going with all this? So then uh, Larry showed Boglins to Coleco. And they said, oh, yeah, we love that too. And, and I said, see, Larry, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> and he's like, no, Tim, you don't understand. This doesn't happen. This never happens. You don't sell two toys in, in two years. And I said, okay, fine. So I... I, um, Coleco started, we actually started in that time period, Coleco sent us, Maureen and I, out to California because we were doing the development of a movie of stop motion animation for the insects and then large full-scale creatures with actors. And we got like six weeks into working on the film and the head of uh, Coleco in inventor relations called us up and they, he said, um, uh, you need to come back to Connecticut because Coleco was based in Connecticut. And we said, okay, fine. And we get back there and he said, I'm sorry. And at this point, Universal had agreed to put up half the budget to the movie. And we got back there, and he said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we're pulling the plug on doing the movie. And I went, what? Like, he said, yeah, we're not going for it. And I said, why? He said, Coleco's going belly up. And I was like, what? And I was like, you know, here, they had launched Cabbage Patch. They had made millions. And it was like Cabbage Patch. I don't know how many of you know of Cabbage but this <laughs> thing was like, just an incredible hit. You know, it's like people were killing each other to try and get stupid Cabbage Patch dolls. And he said, we lost so much money developing Atom Computer that the whole company is being shut down. And I said, okay. You know, it's like, all right, well, it's over. And then Larry said to them, said to them, okay, we want Boglins back. And what, I, and I was happy because what Coleco had done with Boglins looked nothing like Boglins. You know, it was like this head on top of a vacuum clean, not a, a dryer hose, literally a dryer hose. And then it had this body that just sat on the table doing nothing. And it was like, the, it had a, a uh, head that looked sort of like an alligator. And I was like, that's not a boglin. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's kind of like a rigid latex rubber, so it had no expression or flexibility. So I was really happy that we got it back. And then 
um, Larry took it and showed it to Mattel, and they understood it totally right away. Like they said, this has been staring us at us in the face in the movies, and I can't believe nobody's ever done this before. So they immediately bought Boglins out, and then and they made Boglins look like what I had uh, sculpted. So it's the actually probably the closest to my own work that has ever been produced. So that's the original one, yeah. And they are based on Omec heads. You know, like people ask me, well, what, what inspired you to do this? And I don't know, there was something about the simplicity of the shape and the, the mouth and the, the form of the head that it's, it's like may not, may not be totally obvious right away, but there's some, and also it's like the, the line of the lip that, that it, somehow there's a connection between the, um, pre-Columbian art from South America and Mexico that has always been an influence to me and especially in these guys. So, those are the new ones, the Boglin imps. And, oh, that, let's see, that's a sketch. That's a sketch of one of the, my original sketches for sectors. What else? That's the dragon at the bottom. That's uh, a puppet that I made when I was in Kermit Love's class at in college. And it, its head was here, and the bump in his back was my head, and his tail was here. Just real quick, going back to sectars. Um, mm -hmm. How, as far as that line developing and the characters being created, uh, and and one of the biggest and best playsets that's ever been released, that <laughs> uh, yeah, was ridiculous. How how was it sort of seeing all that come together? I mean, I would imagine it was very rewarding to go from your I, your simple but delightful fly right. to this whole world. Well, the the great thing was after we Coleco bought it. They gave us three months to just draw and do concept development. And then when it came to um, showing it at Toy Fair, they they said, well, how are we going to present this at Toy Fair? I said, well, well, we'll do Blacklight Puppet Theater. And they go, what is that? And I said, well, we'll have all the puppeteers in black. We'll light it from the front. We'll have the insects flying into the theater fighting each other and then taking off and we'll just do a quick skit, skit. and they said that's a great idea <laughs> so so that it, you at know, least they like, didn't say no you know like when you come to Dragon Con you know it's like there's people dressed up and it's a lot of fun and you know it's like you go to Toy Fair it's a bunch of guys in gray suits walking around with ledger books going how much is this? I want to order 4,000 of them, blah, blah, blah. When can you ship it? And it's, they're so dry. Like they could be selling nuts and bolts. It wouldn't make any difference. You know, it's like they, they, it's like they're not even enthusiastic or 
interested in the stuff. It's just like, when can you deliver it, blah, blah, blah. And they came into the Coleco showroom, and they walked in, and there's this theater. And like, what the hell? Like, they were like, what the hell is this all about, right? And all of a sudden, these insects come flying in, and all, bam, bam, like, and there's all this whole fight. And it was so great to stand in the lobby and hear these these toy execs coming out, these buyers, and they're going, how the hell did they do that? Like, how did they make those things? Uh, they were, like, just like little kids, you know? They were like, did you see that? Like, how did they do that? Those things were flying, you know? <laughs> so that was, that. I think, that was, like, a really um, a big hit for me because, you know, like, when you can fool adults, you know, into being being back to being little kids. So, yeah, that was really, that was cool. Did you have any hesitation at all about the addition of action figures to the insects at the beginning or was it immediately no no like no, no, no. I, I i thought it was a great idea because because uh he-man <laughs> <laughs> this guy he-man had had been out and so all the other toy companies were looking to do something you know and and most of the toy companies i always say toy companies are like uh, penguins at the edge of the iceberg. You know, it's like they wait for one to fall in, and if it doesn't get eaten by the shark, then they they all jump in. So it's like somebody does a toy that's a hit, and then they all go, "Oh, we got to figure out a way we can do something just like that, but not like that." You know, <laughs> like you go in and they when you, when you're inventor and they have these inventor relations parties, they say. Well, these are the toys that we're looking for. And they're always talking about something that somebody else has already done, you know? It, it, because they, they're all so pressured to be making money that they are afraid to do anything different. So by just putting the action figure on, like, they would not say this was a puppet. Right. They, on all the packaging, they will never say that this is a puppet. This is, you know, come, you know... Make it come alive in your hand, but they never say, you know, like it's a hand pump. The same thing with this, like, the, what was the line? I even put it on. It's outrageous creatures that come alive in your hands, but they wouldn't. Mattel wouldn't call it a puppet because puppets were not perceived as being um, a viable toy product. It, it it immediately in the toy world. They consider puppets to be something for like three or four year olds, and it would never get broached to being pitched to somebody who was five or six right. and a boy. And then even when we showed the first tarantula, they said, "No, we can't do we can't do plush for boys." And I was like, "What?" He said, "No, boys are hard plastic." I said, "I'm telling you, there is not a boy. You you can test market it." There is not a boy in the world who will not, when they see how this works and how it moves, who's not going to want to scare the hell out of it, people with it. And when I was nine when Sectars launched, and the, thanks for making me this, feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this this fabric, this material at the time, made this line so special. Because there wasn't anything else that had this kind of texture to it, that had this look like you walked into a toy aisle 
and you saw these monstrous bugs with this that weren't made of plastic, and to me, it made them more special, and it made them stand out amongst everything else that was just right. trying to look like E-Man. Right. You know, and, and I have to say, it's like, I'm, I will never forget the first time I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at Toy Fair, and people were walking around going, what the hell is that? I said, that's brilliant. And they, they said to me, what are you, why is it brilliant? I said, it's different. It's so wacky and weird that pe- little boys are going to love it. And they, I, they were all these buyers were going, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. Like they, Those boys, they like He-Man. And I said, no, it's nutty and it's funny. And little boys will get it right away. And they go, nah, I, don't know, I don't know. And of course, it was a huge hit, you know? So... It, it, it's it's kind of like why I stopped pitching toy products because it just got so frustrating that you would, you know, I would come up with novel ideas and you would take them and these toy executives would no, nobody's doing that. I go, yeah, that's the whole idea. Right. That's, that's the, the point. Yeah. You know, no, 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 we can't do that. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I just got sick of hearing that over and over again. And... You know, we can't do that because we can't package that. We can't, we can't hang that on a hang tag. Like you're, you're basing whether you can do a product or not, or whether you can put it on a J hook. Like, are you kidding me? You know. So, I then then I said, you know what? I'm just going to go work for a toy company because I obviously, as an outside person, have to learn their, their confines. Right. So. I started for working a, for a to- small toy company in New Jersey called EK Success. I don't have any of that stuff in here. But, and you know, it's just like, then I realized, you know, I, I started learning all the limitations and, and I was like, ah, this is not fun. <laughs> you know, like, so I, I quit that job after a few years and then I went to work for Melissa and Doug and, uh, when I first got at Melissa and Doug, you know, they said, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, they literally brought me in, and Melissa said to me, I want you to come up with a whole bunch of ideas based on this and this and this. And she said, this is our product line. What would you do differently? And they had a fire engine, you know, like a little wooden fire engine. And so I started sketching, you know, and she came back and she said, well, what would you do with the, the fire engine? I said, well... Fire engine doesn't do anything. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, it rolls across the floor, but it doesn't do anything. And it's like, is that a fire engine? And she said, well, what would you do? I said, well, first of all, the fascination for little boys, uh, the fire engine, is being able to open it, take out all the parts, and make it work like a fire engine. And she said, duh. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. So... So then I re, you know, I would just take a lot of their products and redesign them to try and make them. And then they had a whole line of uh, a wooden train set. And she said, what would you do with it? I said, does that look like a train to you? And she said, what do you mean? I said, how many little boys do you know that know what a pterodactyl is? And she said... Every little boy knows what a pterodactyl is. I said, so if they understand the detail and what a pterodactyl looks like exactly, like some of them can tell you, you know, how many bones they have in their neck, you know? 
they will totally understand not a preschool-looking train that has no detail. They will, if they're into trains, they will know the difference between, you know, this locomotive and that locomotive. I said, so we should make them look like trains. And he said, you're right. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's funny, like, I think part of it is because if you're not in the company, there's like certain things that there's a way of thinking of design in a toy company. And when you're outside, you can question that. But when you're inside, it's like people kind of go along with the flow. So then, and this is really hysterical. There was an English guy that I worked with at Melissa and Doug, and Melissa came, went to him and said, I want you to design some hand puppets. And he looks at her. You know, and he's pointing to me because we sat next to each other. And she said, he said, you do realize that Tim used to work for the Muppets, right? And he said, so why am I, who designs wooden train sets, <laughs> designing puppets when he worked for the Muppets? And she said, Oh yeah, you're right. And I was like, to this day, I was like, when when because I was sitting right there, I was like, really, like really, he's going to design the hand puppets. So, so she said, okay, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I one of the great things I loved at Muppets that no one has ever done as a toy product was uh, the whatnots. The whatnots when we were at. Uh, working on Muppet Show, you would have just a basic head, and the fleece would hold Velcro. So you could like change that character from, you know, whatever you wanted from one to the next, you know, very quickly because everything would just Velcro on and off. So, um, I, I said I would love to do a make your own monster puppet, where the skin of the fabric is Velcro receptive and. It will be like a Mr. Potato Head, but a monster. And you can just rip off all the parts and put them wherever you want. Like if you want to have three eyes or three ears or whatever. And she said, that's a great idea. You know, so I did that. Then she said, all right, what else should we do? And I said, well, I think we should do like, you know, um, just a basic line of uh, characters that are based on, you know, jobs that kids like, you know, like the fireman, the policeman, blah, blah, blah. So then I designed all of those, and then she said, but we need something for girls. And I said, well, why don't we do um, a princess that they can change the jewelry, the clothes, everything else? And she said, okay, great. And they did that. And then there's, there's I think in here, there's a whole series of dinosaur puppets that I did for them, which only sold for a year, but I really love them. They're, they're in there somewhere. There it is. That's one of them. And those, those, it was great because you could put your hand up, your arm up through the whole body, and your arm would disappear into it, and then you could like, uh, you know, manipulate his mouth and swing his tail. I kind of uh, made the plush so that the tail was a little weighted, so it would swing around. You know. Unfortunately, those didn't sell well. I don't know why. Some people said it was because it was pink and purple. But I was like, okay, I don't know. Something is, you know, it's like sometimes you never know why something sells or doesn't sell because 
of how it's marketed or not marketed. Like that, that was a dragon puppet I did for Melissa and Doug, which that one didn't do so well. Then I did another one later on that is more cartoony and simple colors, and that one sold like crazy. So it's like, you know, it's like you don't always know why certain things sell or don't sell. There's a bat boggle, and I'm going to be working on those next because those never came out. Mattel never released the bat boglins, and all oh, these guys, yeah. Like, are you ever going to do a bat boglin? Are you ever going to do a bat boglin? So I'm going to be, when I get through with Dragon Con, I'll be working on that next. Uh, to get back to boglins, I'm interested mm-hmm. in the difference uh, in working with Coleco and working with Mattel. Should I be honest? Uh, you, you be as honest as you want to be. Is any um, does anybody here work for Coleco or Mattel? Well, Coleco doesn't exist anymore, so well, I'm not too right. worried about that. We're good on that. Ken. I, I one of the weirdest experiences I had working with Coleco was um, they they had done something with sectors, and it was like this ridiculously complicated mechanism. And I called up the design department because those were usually the people I was dealing with there. And I said to John McNett, I said, you know, um, this thing doesn't, is like overly complicated and it can be simplified and made cheaper and simpler than what you guys have. And he said to me, Tim, we didn't do that. I was like, huh? He said, the engineering department did that. He said, you're going to have to talk to somebody in engineering. And I said, okay, fine. So he gave me the name, and I called him up, and I, I said, you know, it's like, I want to send you some drawings that I've done to simplify the mechanism to make it work better. And um, he said to me, and I said, and then you'll have to get the design department to adapt the skin of the creature and he said to me, we don't work with design. And I said, huh? He said, no. He said, you don't understand. The Greenberg brothers have us competing against each other. Engineering does concepts and development, and design does concept and development, and whoever has the best is what we do. And I said, how can you properly produce a line where the design department and the engineering department don't communicate with each other and he goes yeah it's kind of problematic that we're competing against each other but that's the way the green bar-. and it's like then i thought about the failure of adam computer and i was like no wonder the thing never worked because how can you design the outside of a computer like and have a keyboard that's designed by an industrial design department and have an engineering department that's supposed to do the guts and they don't talk to each other? I, it's like, it was complete idiocy. And no wonder the thing failed, you know? So then with Mattel, Mattel, Mattel was a strange company back then. I don't know what it's like now, but we had, going into the second year of Boglands, we had gotten the company that had licensed surge licensing to do all the secondary licensing on Boglins. And they had lined up all these licensees. Mattel saw that they had gotten all these licensees and said, we're taking over that business. 
so here Boglins was just this one station, you know, stationary line of toys, and it was going to be expanded to all these licensing. And Mattel took the rights back, and then did absolutely nothing with it. And we we submitted concepts for T-shirts and pajamas. Like Maureen and I just went crazy, you know. Like we were doing all these crazy things. Like we had like a sleeping bag that you could, you know, have a a soft plush boglin pop out of the sleeping bag, you know, so like you could puppeteer tear it from the inside the sleeping bag. And Serge loved it. You know, like they were like going, yeah, this is great. You know, these are really different ideas. And and I, I, to this day, I do not understand why they just like dropped the ball. But it, obviously it was something inside politically in the company and so it didn't go anywhere. And then a year late, you know, a year after that, doing all that work, they came to us and they said, um, "We're dropping Boglins." And they said it's not doing enough core business. And they had already, for the second year, had seven million dollars in advance orders, and, and like. That's not a lot of money now, but back in the 80s, that was a significant amount. And the Seven Towns, the agent in London, because their company is based in London, like, are they freaking out of their minds? You're just dropping, you know, and they had dropped the ball on the licensing. They had dropped the ball on going into the second year. And Seven Towns said, great, we want the rights. We're taking the whole thing back. And they went to... Uh, ideal Osairs in England, and Boglins went on for like another eight years in Europe. So there's toy products that are in Europe that are Boglin characters that have nobody in the States has ever seen. There's mini Boglins, little Boglins, small Boglins, squishy Boglins, glow-in-the-dark Boglins. You know, it's like, it's just this huge line. So it's funny because now, when me relaunching these, like half my sales, I'm selling to Japan. I'm selling to guys in Japan. I'm selling to uh, people in Australia because of the all that secondary licensing that went in on in Europe that never happened here. You know, so so it's actually like really are, a bigger property. There. Those are the mini boglins I released last year. I made 400 of those. They sold out in three days. And it all went to Europe. It all went to England. Like, most of the, them went... That's There's mini Boglins. Whoop. A mini picture. Yeah. <laughs> Too small. But there were, like, over 100... I think there's, like, 110 mini Boglin characters. Those were stamps that came in cereals in Europe. You know, so it, was, it just went crazy. It was like everywhere. And when I went, I went to, um, there's a designer toy show in London in March. And the guys who run it, when they found out I was doing Boglins again, they said, would you come, you know, and bring your new Boglins? And I said, I don't know. You know, it's a lot of money to go over there. And, I, they, and they said, Tim. Trust us, it's going to be worth your while to come. And I said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, 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 you know. So I fly over there, and it was a nightmare. But, but I get to the show, and, you know, it's like when I'm here, you know, it's like people come up to me and I talk to them and stuff. 
And so I'm standing at the, I'm sitting at the booth and people are coming over and I was sharing the booth space with some, another uh, toy designer artist who is just does most phenomenal work. You know, like I'm in awe of him. You know, it's like he's sitting there going, you're Tim Clark. You know, like, and I'm going, no, but you're John Paul Kaiser, you know, because he does um, these really beautiful toys that are painted white and then he does like Japanese tattoo paintings on them. And they're like this big. And he, John is like bigger than you. And it's like this massive man with this like single hair paintbrush going. <laughs> it's like, it's such the biggest contradiction. But so after like, I don't know, 15 minutes, he goes, Tim, you have to stop talking so much to each person. And I was like, why? He said, that line, there's those people are waiting to talk to you, you know, like <laughs> to meet you. And I thought it was the booth next door. I had, I was like totally clueless. He goes, you have to stop talking so much. <laughs> okay, sorry, this hasn't happened before. <laughs> so it was with, a weird experience. With the overseas continuation of the Boglins line, there was the opportunity to add a lot more features, a lot more designs. What were some yeah. of the things that, that got well, you more excited? Like that one there, whoop, the blue one. That was, you know, because Mad Balls came out while Boglins came out. So we did a whole series of, um, like, Mad Ball, Boglin characters, but we gave them an action. So, like, that one, you, you squeeze him, and his eye pops out and goes flying across the room. There was another one that you would squeeze it, and his, um, there was a smaller Boglin in his mouth. That would go flying across. See, the, the, the great thing about Boglins is that they're just so bizarre that there's nothing you can do with them that, you know, like you can come up with the wackiest concepts. Like that's, then a gallery, a toy gallery asked me if I would start doing custom pieces for the gallery show. That, so that's one of the ones I did with the mini Boglins where I, I just start doing like weird stuff with them. So that's a whole series of zombie boglins that I did for the gallery show. And then we had other artists, the the red clay piece at the bottom, I sculpted and we did that one as a, a positionable kind of hard vinyl piece. And then we just gave it to all these different artists to, you know, adapt and um, make into whatever they wanted, you know, like take it wherever you want it. And, it was fascinating to, for me to see the directions they went in, you know, like what they thought Boglin should be or look like. And, and if anybody here isn't already following Tim Clark Toys on Instagram, you need to be, and you'll get to see <laughs> all this stuff. And a lot, I think he posted a good number of uh, oh, yeah, yeah, things yeah. that people of did. The, of the custom pieces. Yeah. The pumpkin one is one that I did. So it's like... A boglin that's kind of eating his way out of out of a jack and jack o' lantern. So what else? Boglins are basically back. Yeah, and I and I've been we've been pitching, trying to pitch them to, you know, a new toy company. That's a gargoyle one that I did recently, and that's. Um, 
what do they call it? Oh, the the Black Plague. <laughs> so it's like I can, you know, the the, the one thing I, I really like is the, the, like that Black Plague concept, like no toy company would ever do that. So it's like having the freedom to do things that, you know, for in a gallery situation that no, and I never thought in a million years that, you know, toys would be considered art, you know, but it, that's developed. My, my daughter came to me like three years ago and she's an artist. She said, Daddy, you should be doing designer toys. And I said, I, and I thought I was doing designer toys. She said, no, no, no. There's this whole new segment of the toy market that's one of a kind or limited edition series and they sell for like anywhere from $150 to $1,000. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, there's no way you can make money doing that. And she said, no, Daddy, you have to go. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Arne. It doesn't make any sense. Economically, it just doesn't make any sense. So then I was out in Los Angeles, and I walked by this place on Melrose called the Toy Art Gallery. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And I started looking in the window, and they weren't open at the time. So I went back, and I walk in, and I'm just like looking at the prices were crazy. I mean, I was going, somebody's going to spend 500 bucks for that? You know, like, I I didn't get it. And the guy who was the manager said to me, um, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, I think I have more questions than you can answer. And he said, why? I said, well, I've been designing toys for... 35 years. I've never seen toy prices like this. And he said that's because they're either one-of-a-kind pieces or they're limited edition series. And people want to collect them. And sometimes it's just the limited edition is doing 30 in purple and then 30 in green and 30 in white. And I said, really? Okay, fine. And he said, why, what have you done? And so I started telling him all the toys I designed. He says, you know, people have been ripping you off for years. <laughs> and I said, yes, I kind of knew that. But he said, no, he said, Tim, you don't know how much they're ripping you off. You should be working with us. And I said, okay. And then I did totems. He, he they, where is it? There, the red one. So he said, well, well what would you do? And I said, well, you know, like, um, stacking toys have been around for years, but I said it would be really cool to do a stacking toy where people could interchange the parts, but it's really gross. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So so um, I sculpted this up, and then it's made in Japanese vinyl, and there's guys who will only collect toys that are made out of Japanese vinyl. Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I got into... I got somebody really upset recently at a toy show because I said, I don't understand. What's the difference between Japanese vinyl and Chinese vinyl? He goes, Tim, Japanese vinyl is an art form. Chinese vinyl is manufactured and comes out of factory. I go, so what? I don't get it. What's the difference? <laughs> he, says, he said, Japanese vinyl is wrote, turned by hand and then pulled out by hand. Chinese vinyl is rotated in a machine and then pulled out. I said, okay, I don't 
understand. <laughs> and he got really, he said, you know, Tim, you're really insulting me now. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult you. I've been in toy business a long time, you know, like, rotomolded vinyl. He said, it's not rotomolded vinyl. It's slush molded by hand. And I was like clueless. I was like, he was getting really mad at me. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult you. I just don't get it. And he said, no, one is an art form, and one is just mass production. Okay, fine. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we need to bring it home. Really? Oh. We do. Uh, Tim, I want to thank you so much for coming to Dragon Con. Thank you. We started a little bit early. Uh, thank you so much for coming to Dragon Con and being here, and it's a delight to meet you in person. Sure. And to see, uh, you know, I first found you on Instagram with uh, the totems. Really? Yes, Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that. Uh, you, I put up a picture of the Boglins that I have at home and put uh-huh. the Boglins hashtag on them, which, by the way, hashtags do work. Don't poo-poo the hashtags. <laughs> uh, and you actually commented on the picture and said, it's great to see Boglins out there in the yeah, world. Right, right, right. And as I Oh, do, I love it. When people take pictures, especially now when the people who are buying the new ones, and they take pictures of their kids playing with them, you know, or holding them, I was like, that's so great that it's like going to a new generation. It makes me feel really good. You know, because, you know, it's like I, I realize there's a lot of guys who are collecting them because of having them when they were kids. Right. But when I see, like... The other day, yesterday, this, like, six-year-old boy, he doesn't know what the hell Boglins are. And he came over, and he picks it up, and the, this is the first thing he does. He turns to his mother, and he goes, ah! And I said, yay, it still works! <laughs> you know, because that that's who I made it for. You know, it's like, because little boys, it's not, it's not about, like, trying to learn to be a puppeteer, you know? And the funniest thing is, I did this show in New Jersey, and this... This guy comes up to me, he's got this huge beard, you know, and he's got his two little kids, and he says to me, you know, you're responsible for my career. And I look, oh, you're like a toy designer, a puppet builder? And he said, no, 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 I'm a biologist. How the hell did I do, like, what did I do? He said, you know the back of the Boglins box? I got the first Boglin, and I was obsessed with getting every single Boglin on the family tree of Boglins. And then he said, I started to want to learn about evolution and the connection between one animal species to another animal species. And I said, well, that's really cool. And I said, so what are you doing now? He said, I'm a a biologist. And I said, well, what are you working on? He goes, I'm working on snails. And I said, well, what are you doing with snails? And he said, well, I'm studying the snails in Jamaica and we're looking at the fossil record of snails and the snails that exist on the land and in the ocean around Jamaica, and we're comparing them to the fossil record and how they evolved or how they're exactly the same. And I said, oh, that must be awesome that you get to go to Jamaica all the time and, you know, like, do that research. And he goes, no, I, I've never been to Jamaica. And I, I, he said, my professor who leads this study goes down there and he sends me the samples and I sit in my little, you know, lab and I dissect stuff and I log it into journals. <laughs> so I was like, you know, it's like, it just was so bizarre to think I influenced that. Like, okay, cool. 
And and that's the value of innovative, creative, different toys. Hopefully, that yeah. In, that engage kids in a more meaningful way than just yeah. clanking things together. That's one. Well, that's one of my new ones. I, I'm going to be working on those two next. Those were back years ago. I did sketches for vertebrate boglins. So if, you can't tell in that photo, but the bottom is soft, and then he's they're going to have hard skulls. So they can smack into each other. It's just like <laughs> another way to torment, you know, <laughs> torment uh, moms and dads. So, uh, where can we find you online? What else are you up to now? Um, I'm working. On, I'm working on some puppets for a children's television show in Maine, which is called Rock Island, and it's supposed to be to pick up after Fred Rogers. Um, uh, this guy approached me and he said, you know, like since Fred's not around anymore, there's no children's television which is dealing with kids' emotional needs or dealing with what they're confronting on the internet and um, bullying and all these other things. And he said, I really want to do a show directed towards that. And um, so I'm, I'm working on puppets for that. I'm always working on new boggling concepts. Sectors is being relaunched as a G.I. Joe scale um, action figure line with a Kickstarter in March. I have cards out there about that. Um, it, we're also bringing out a new comic book series based on Sectors, and hopefully that will be out later this year. And I actually got... The guy who did the original uh, artwork for the original Sectors comic book, Joe Del, Bal Del Beato, um, he's going to be working on it with us. Oh, that's tremendous! So, so it's really cool. So it's like going full circle. Yeah, that's great. But we, we, are, Maureen and I have been working on the storyline for it, and we are making it very contemporary because there's going to be a whole new section of the Sectors planet that is based on the pollinators and the importance of pollinators and how they are keeping us alive and that you know like sector you know like the whole planet of symbion is on the verge of you know disappearing because the pollinators are are um, being attacked by the terrible dark lord <laughs> Excellent. And Spydrax. Of course, uh, you will be out at the table. Yes. And everybody in this room can go buy a Boglin. Well, not everybody, because I don't think you've got enough left, do you? But no, 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 I have. I have. You good? Okay. Yeah. Everybody can go buy a Boglin from the if man that created Boglins. And, and they're all handmade at this point by me. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to, sh um, get a, toy company to pick it up but because it only sold in the states for two years there's not you know there's not like a big interest by the majors because you know it's like all the majors they say well is this going to do 200 million dollars like if it's not going to do 200 million dollars we're not interested in so well we'll do Who our knows? best but uh, I'm, I almost in a way I'd rather just keep doing it myself now that I yeah. figured out a way to make a rub the rubber um, easily and affordable, it's like, then I can do whatever the hell I want. Nobody can say to me, no, you can't do that. <laughs>
And now you can go right outside, buy some Boglins from, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Clark. Thank you. Santa Claus is indeed coming to town, Phantomaniacs, so be on your best behavior. Be sure you go to NeedlessThingsSite.com, click on that Amazon box, and help a brother out, help Santa out. And uh, I've got a lot more exciting stuff coming up in December. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the interview that I've got for you next week. I really hope that nothing goes wrong, as has happened from time to time, but uh, hopefully it'll all go down well and you guys will get to hear this great, exciting interview with an incredible creator uh, that is one of those people that uh, you get irritated because you keep finding out other things that they're good at, and uh, I will certainly tell her that when I talk to her. But it's like, come on, how many things do you have to be great at? What are you leaving for the rest of us, really? Uh, Later in the month, we will have a new Needless commentary. I'm going to put a poll up on the Needless Things podcast Facebook page. If you are not a member or following or joined or however that works, uh, go and do so, and you can vote on the version of the movie that we will do the commentary on in December and our special pal Chad J. Shonk from across the country will be in town for his first ever needless commentary. Uh, very excited about that. And and also, we will be doing a review of uh, The Last Jedi. And I don't know if we're doing that before or after the commentary. We should probably do it before because you guys know how we get for the commentaries. Chad doesn't. Chad does not partake. The rest of us, it could be messy. Or Chad could just talk for like six hours. I don't know. We'll see. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.